Well, amen. Thank you, team, for that. I'm glad you're here this morning. I want to invite you to take your Bible with me and go with me to Matthew chapter 26. I hope you brought the word with you this morning and invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. And we'll begin reading in verse 36 in just a few moments. Matthew chapter 26. Many of you have heard of a preacher in years gone by by the name of Charles Spurgeon. From time to time, I'll reference him, and from time to time, probably most preachers in most places will reference Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a, a unique preacher, an English Baptist preacher, preached to thousands, been recognized as one of the uh, uh, leading theologians and preachers of uh, the last generation. One day back in 1885, Spurgeon was preaching uh, on the subject, the man Christ Jesus. And in the sermon, let me read to you a little bit of what he said. He said, it will not be enough for you to hear or read about Christ. You must do your own thinking and consider your Lord for yourself. Think about that. It's not enough to read or even hear, but you have to think for yourself. You have to consider for yourself the Lord Jesus. In the sermon, he went on to say this. The wine is not made by the glad gathering of the clusters, but by treading the grapes in a wine vat. Under pressure, the red juice leaps forth. Today, before we celebrate the supper together, Don and I want to take you to the garden. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means an olive press. It was a, a, a row of olive trees, a garden of olive trees, where we find our Lord going regularly. It was a place where olives would be pressed into oil. Like Spurgeon said about grapes, no wine could be made without intense pressure. No olives, dear people could be made into oil unless they were crushed. As our Lord went into the garden with a few of his disciples, here's what he exclaimed. He said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Luke tells us that his sweat became like droplets of blood falling on the ground. The garden was the moment that Jesus while he was always going to say yes, the garden was the moment that Jesus said yes for you. Would you stand in honor of God's word? Matthew 26, we'll begin reading verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called the Olive Press or Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, 
but as you will. And he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, and said to Peter, So you men could not watch with me for one hour? Keep watching, praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, and and I actually think people, this is where the full acceptance came. My father, if I cannot accept, If this cannot pass away unless I drink it, then your will be done. And he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were weary. He left them again, went away, and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being portrayed into the hand of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Thank you. You may be seated. Dear church, when we enter the garden, we must enter it very tenderly. For you see, in the garden, we find a mystery far too deep for human comprehension. It's far too profound for humans to understand a fully God and a fully human man this man called Christ Jesus. Yet we believe this man lived without sin, although being found in a fashion as a man, and although being tempted in every point as a man, we find him sinless. And so what we want you to understand, and you know it, but we'll remind you, that before there was a Calvary, there was a Gethsemane. Before there was a cross, there was a cup. When you study the biblical image of a cup, when you begin tracing it all the way from the back of the Old Testament into the New, you find that the image of the cup is used to address God's wrath or God's judgment, his wrath against sin. May I make it personal? His wrath against your sin. Nothing more fierce, dear people, than the vented fury of the righteous God. In his humanity, he, 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 he struggled with this coming wrath. He was troubled about the sin that he would have to endure. He wrestled in his humanity about the will of the Father. He said, if it's possible, Father, let there be another way. And yet as God, He realized the Father's will, and he realized the Father's way, and it included this cup that he must drink. And so, our Lord willingly did. In Matthew 20, we find the mother of the sons of Zebedee coming, asking Jesus for a boy to sit on the right and the left, and Jesus, I probably inside may have laughed a little bit, thinking, oh, you don't understand. Jesus said, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? John 18 tells us that it was in this very garden. When he was arrested, Peter tried to defend him, and our Lord said, put up the sword. The cup of the Father, which he has given me, shall I not drink it? Oh, dear people, the dreaded cup, the dreaded cup full of the wrath, of God. What kind of cup was it? Well, listen to Don as he 
shares, and then I'll conclude about this threaded cup. We don't think much about the cup when we come to take the Lord's Supper. I mean, it's just a, you know, just a wafer, uh, just plastic, plastic piece that, that holds the juice. But when our Lord was, was in the garden and he was praying for a cup to be removed, we need to be reminded that this cup, it was a sorrowful cup. It was a cup that uh, Jesus had to bear. As Brother Tom said, after the, that last supper, they went out. They went up on the Mount, Mount of Olives, in particular to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus left the bulk of his disciples there, and he, and he chose Peter, James, and John to come on with him just a little farther. And the Scripture says that because he was so sorrowful, Jesus said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. You stay here and watch and pray. And he went on a little farther. And, and as he bowed down to pray, we see that his pain was immense. You see, a lot of times when we think about Jesus on the cross, we think about the physical pain. We can't imagine the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, the, the beating that he took. But I think sometimes we forget about the emotional anguish, the spiritual agony that our Lord went through. It's hard for us to even get a grasp, to get a hand on the fact that Jesus was 100% God, but he was still 100% man. And in this prayer in the garden, we see both. His, his pain was intense. His prayer was intense. The writer, the prophet Isaiah, had said that he was going to be acquainted with grief and acquainted with sorrows. The scripture says that in Isaiah chapter 53, you know the passage, verses 3 and 4, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid it as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And so here was Jesus going into the garden. Now, he was carrying such a weight. I remember talking to a fellow a few years ago, and he had all kind of family pressures on him. Uh, he had some financial pressures on him. He, it was, he was about to lose his job, and I remember he came in and he said, Preacher, I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. We get like that sometimes, don't we? When it seems like the weight is almost more than we can bear, but our Lord did have the sin debt. The weight of the sin debt of the world on His shoulders. And as He went to the garden, He realized what lay ahead, and His pain was immense. Not just the physical part, but the emotional, the spiritual part. Now, He knew why He came. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. He knew why he came. He said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a, as a ransom for many. He knew what the prophet 
had said about him. And so in the midst of that immense pain, he knelt down to pray. His prayer was intense. And in that prayer we see again the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. In his humanity he said, Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. But in his divineness, he said, not my will, but thine be done. As he prayed, the sweat drops like blood fell to the ground. As he intensely prayed, this was no, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. It was not just a perfunctory blessing over the food. He was in spiritual warfare. He went back to his disciples. They had already fallen asleep. He went and prayed a second time. Went back to his disciples, sleeping still. He went and prayed a third time. But as he left that garden, even in all of his sorrow, he was resigned, he was ready to lay down his life for his sheep. It was a sorrowful cup. And it was also a suffering cup. The prophet said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And it's by his stripes that we're healed. He suffered. He suffered, but he suffered for my sin. The scripture says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Not only did he suffer for our sins, but the scripture says that he became sin for us. And the Father poured out all of his wrath on the Son. Paul writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, somebody had to pay for sin. Someone had to pay for my sin. And either I had to pay for all eternity, or God in His grace allowed Jesus to pay the price that day on Calvary. He was the propitiation for my sin. He was the atoning sacrifice. He died in my place. It was a suffering cup. And as he hung on that cross, the nails in his hands and feet, the crown of thorns on his head, pitch black in the middle of the day, as the full wrath of God was being poured out, as he suffered, all of a sudden our Lord cried out, My God, my God! Why have you forsaken me? For the first time, the son felt separated from the father. Because the son was made sin on our behalf. The son hung there, becoming sin. And God poured out his wrath. You see, sin separates. The 
The wages of sin is death, the eternal separation from God. But because Jesus hung there in my place, then I can be reconciled, justified, brought back to God. And then, we heard our Lord say, through the Scriptures, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he bowed his head, gave up his life. Dear people, do you see today that, first of all, it was a sorrowful cup? It was a cup of intense pain and intense burden. Do you see today, dear people, that it was a suffering cup? that Jesus had to suffer, that he was born to suffer. I've got some good news. It was also a saving cup. Suffering, sorrowful, oh yeah. But oh dear people, it was a saving cup. Years ago, I had the honor of going to Israel And one of the things that that we did is we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a lot of things that are traditional. Sometimes you have to wade through some of that. But they actually think that the garden where we were was the actual garden. It was one of the most emotional moments of the trip. And we gathered there together, and we had a service. And I wondered what it must have been like for the Lord Jesus on that day. For you see, it was there that the Lord grappled with what lay ahead, fully aware of what was to come, but fully aware also of why he was coming. You know, in the first garden, the Garden of Eden, Adam's sin, and your sin, and my sin, did not take God by surprise, even before creation, the triune Godhead had already made a covenant. It's called the covenant of redemption. There was no panic in the Garden of Eden. And there was no plan B that came later. God knew what he was going to do. The Godhead had already determined what they were going to do. It's called the covenant of redemption. It belongs in eternity past where God the Father sends forth, and God the Son enters in, and God the Holy Spirit applies the work of redemption to those who would be saved. And it was in the garden that the eternal covenant of redemption by the Lord Jesus Christ was fully accepted on behalf of my sin and behalf of your sin. It was here that Jesus said, in a sense, let the wrath come. For only in the receiving of the wrath can I accomplish what I came to do. And to save my people from their sin. George, I mean Philip Bless, wrote it this way. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to proclaim, 
Hallelujah. What a Savior. Oh, dear people, it was a very great sorrow he endured for those who were going to be saved from their sin, God's full wrath. It was the only time we find our Lord falling prostrate before God. Did you know that? The only time we find him doing that. Three times he cried out, My Father, if, that's a condition, My Father, if, there's, there's any other way, possibly any other way, let it come, yet not my will, but thy will. It was a very great suffering he endured for his people. Can you imagine the vented fury of the wrath of a holy, righteous God raining down upon his own son because of you? Because of me. But it was a very great blessing. For he enabled his sheep to be saved. God's full salvation. Hallelujah, folks. What a Savior. And as we take of the supper, what I want you to know is that there was nothing lacking in the atonement of the Lord Jesus. Jesus didn't come and just set a table and give man the option Jesus came and accomplished everything the Father wanted accomplished. He died to save His people. Sometimes we think the atonement is provisional. No, dear folks. The atonement is effectual. The atonement saves the people of God from their sin. He accomplished everything He set out to do. And if you're one of His... And if you've accepted him by faith and repentance, what happened there? Oh, he did for you. That's what makes salvation so celebrative. That's what makes salvation so humbling. That's what makes salvation so broken. That he did all of that. For me, I am included. And that sacrifice that we call Calvary. Let's pray together. After I pray, our men will come. Those that will be serving will come. And I'll explain to you how we're going to, to do our Lord's Supper. Father, sometimes we so flippantly run by all of the emotions and all of the events of that so horrendous night, and yet that so blessed night. When our Lord suffered and died, and before that grappled with your will, all the while knowing and all the while willing. What a momentous event. The day he accomplished redemption for those who would be saved. And today... God, we celebrate that in what we call the Lord's Supper. Some will call communion. Some will call the Eucharist. We celebrate because we know it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the body, and we know it's a symbol of the blood of the new covenant through the very one who in that garden grappled with it and then on that cross conquered it and accepted it the vented fury of your holy righteousness. We praise him in Jesus' name.